Thank you so much for the worship. It's so important in a COVID-19 world like ours when we got all this bad news about lockdown this past week that God in heaven controls everything and we honor him and worship him because he's in control even when we're afraid. We're in the middle of a series of talks and the, the series is called Cold Hard Cash and Contentment. And sometimes you have the cash and you you don't have the contentment. Sometimes you have the contentment, but you don't have the cash. So I want to talk today uh, just about how debt sabotages contentment. Okay, so you can see that, I'm sure. And it does sometimes. Now, you're familiar with uh, how, the fact that, you know, according to the ancient aliens guy, you know, the guy, the weird hair guy, that apparently aliens have been visiting our planet for thousands of years. I understand that they went back to their mothership recently, and they wrote this report. Planet Earth is inhabited by four-wheeled citizens called automobiles. Each of these automobiles has a two-legged slave called a human being. A loud noise goes off every morning that wakes the slave up to get ready to wake up the automobile. And then the slave takes it to a social club where the automobile hangs out all day with other four-wheeled vehicles while the slave goes to work to pay for it. And some of these automobiles have parasites called children who sometimes climb in the back and trash it with candy wrappers, chewing gum, french fries, pop, and gummy bears. That's not very flattering, but then they're aliens, right? They don't know. Human beings regularly express love and devotion to their masters, spending hours working them, washing them, admiring them, cleaning the parasites out of them, and giving them long back rubs. Now, I think you probably would have to admit, I can't see your hands, but you would have to admit that that's at least a little bit accurate. And when it comes to us and our stuff, you have to ask the question, who owns who? See, you know, debt calls, causes us to use time, our most precious commodity. Like we, everybody only has just a limited amount of it to then take care of our stuff and so on and pay for it. And the way debt works is pretty much the way we talked about last week, you know, we have whole marketing team paid, you know, billions of dollars to create discontentment in our lives, and then they put all the stuff in front of us, thousands of things, you know, to covet online or, you know, in shopping malls or wherever you happen to be, and so on. So all this stuff, stuff comes into our faces, and then they say, you want more stuff? Well, ask us. We'll help. We love you. We'd love to help you get it right now. Now, at first glance, you know, this whole philosophy of, you know, don't wait, get it out, sounds pretty good. I mean, why would you actually wait for something if you don't have to? Why deny yourself? And the short answer to that question is, well, if you can't or you won't deny yourself, then what happens is you go into this web of more, you know, kind of like a moth, you know, you're attracted to the light, you know, and so you go for it, and then, you know, you get stuck there. So, in this analogy, you and I are the moths, debt is the web, and the creditor, the spider, <laughs> is coming after you, okay? What God says stands in stark contrast to our screwed up system of values in this world and our solution to discontent. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I ever leave you, and neither will I ever forsake you. 
In the light of this whole talk on contentment last week, I want to talk about a subject that we have to figure out. And I'm telling you, especially in our world, we have to figure this out. And it may be a little bit uncomfortable, and I, that's not my point. But I'm telling you, it's, rather, it's better to have it uncomfortable now than some di- sometime down the line when you know, this whole thing called debt has changed you down and taken over your life. Let me say this first, okay? I'm not talking about home mortgages and so on. Um, I'm talking about consumer debt. Now, the truth is, you know, you can get a home that makes it almost impossible, you know, to pay your bills and stuff like that. And you don't call that a home, you call it a prison, okay? You can't afford to live in it. But consumer debt is basically making payments on depreciating assets. That is, you know, the things that you buy drop in value the moment that you drive them, you know, off of the car lot or you carry them out of a store or FedEx delivers them to your door. And here's my bottom line, and I want you to remember this. You can't buy contentment with your credit card. You can't. All you can do with a credit card, and, you know, with make payments now, don't pay until, you know, 2022, you know, all you can do is you can appease the monster of more for a few weeks or a few months. But I'm telling you, he comes back and he wants more. Now, I just want to really be honest about myself, okay? I am not, you know, in any way a financial counselor. Everything I've learned, I've learned some through my own pain and stupid, you know, things, uh, I've tapped into Lori's knowledge. She, her family and her parents had a different approach to money than mine. Mine parents were more like, you know, Hakuna Matata, don't worry about it. Hers were, you know, no, you got to manage it, you got to save it, and so on. And you have to know, I'm going to go to the Bible, and even though, you know, Paul and Solomon and, and Jesus and Matthew, they didn't have messages, you know, on your flexible friend, you know, and how to avoid getting into problems with it, because they didn't have flexible friends back then. You couldn't, you know, have now and pay later. That was not even a thing. But there are principles that deal and help us to deal with this so we don't get tangled up in it. So we're just going to kind of start out and get our terms straight here, okay? So I just want you to know what I'm talking about, okay? Debt is basically, you know, money that you owe to somebody else. That's exactly what it is. The debtor is the person that you owe the money to. Credit is the right to borrow money. The creditor is the person who hands that right to you in the form of a credit card or payments or something else, gives you the credit, like Visa or MasterCard or American Express. Borrow means that you enter into into a decision, you enter into a relationship with that person, a contract, to rent money, okay, for a specified period of time. Interest is the rent that you pay on the money. Bankrupt means that you can't pay the rent, okay? And you have to give it back. If you can't pay the rent, you have to remember this when it comes to debt, if you can't pay the rent, which is interest, then you have to give it back. And someone has said that, you know, quite accurately, that the world can be divided into three kinds of persons. You have the haves, you know, then you have the have-nots, and then you have, have not paid for what they have. So that's pretty much lines up with everybody, I think. Now, to be clear, I am not talking this morning about mortgage because if you're paying a mortgage on your house, and most of us have to at some point, you know, it's basically, you know, accrues interest over time or accrues, you know, um, you know just basically that it gets better over time, however you want to put it. I'm talking about consumer debt. And this is lifestyle debt. This is debt that's created because you're discontented and you see something and you want it and you get it now. Now, 
Does anybody like bills when they come in? You know, you just go out and get the mail, you know, and there's the visa bill, and there's the MasterCard bill, you know, and there's the tax bill. And you say, oh, I love bills. I love all kinds of bills. You know, I love, you know, credit card bills, and I love duck bills, and I like the buffalo bills. I like bills. Most people don't. You know, when you get these things in the mail, most of us say, oh, man. And then you look at the amount, and, you, and you're surprised because you didn't realize that you racked that much up. Now, consumer debt comes from buying stuff. And I'll tell you why we blow off the self-discipline of basically, you know, paying now, like saving up the money for it now, and then deciding to pay it off later. later. Because the marketing lie basically tells us in a whole bunch of different forms, if you have nice stuff, if you have the right stuff, people who will see you as being successful and desirable. And the question is, is that even true? Is that even true? I mean, do you look at other people's stuff and say, they must be successful. They must be important. Look at what they're driving. Look at what they have. See, here's the thing. Like, if you and I thought rationally about these lines that were given through advertisements and so on, most of, it would, most of us would say, well, I don't actually believe that. That's actually kind of dumb. But we fall for it anyways. And here's kind, of the, here's kind of the thing that comes in, you know, we get sucked in because the battle strategy when it comes to people who are trying to get you to go into debt to them, you know, and become your creditor, you know, you know, visit your Ford dealership today, call now, and if you call right now within the next 10 minutes, you're gonna, you'll get two of these, and it just goes on and on and on. And in the past 70 years or so, the entire strategy for owning things has moved from pay now buy later. In other words, that's pretty much all you could do, was basically save up your money and buy something later, unless it was, you know, a home or something like that. Now we're pressured to use credit, you know? Buy now, pay later. And they will send you a card in the mail telling you how special you are. You, Kenneth R. Davis, you know, have been chosen to receive a platinum visa card at only 5% interest. I'm special. You that special? Do you get credit card offers? Of course you do. <laughs> now put some brain power behind this. Why do banks and why do big box stores who are run by smart, profit-conscious business persons, you know, offer thousands of dollars to people, you know, who <laughs> likely can only make the ba- you know the basic payments on it? Let me answer that question with one of my favorite analogies. Anybody here ever gone fishing? See, that's what fishermen do. They throw a lure out there, and to me, this doesn't even look like you know a fish or anything like that, but it apparently does, because there's this poor, defenseless fish out there looking for something good to eat. Instant self-gratification, okay? That's what they want, because they're hungry. The need to eat is real. So you throw this thing out, which to them kind of looks like a, a, beta, a baconator, you know, with loaded fries from Wendy's and so on, and their mouth begins to water. Actually, their mouth doesn't water because of the fact that their mouth is always in water, so it never waters. But what they don't see is, in this, is that there's a hook in it, and there's a barb on that hook. Now, I brought this, you know, king-size hook that they use for catching, you know, alligators and, you know, sharks and stuff like this. And you can see this little thing right down here. And what that means is when this hook goes into a fish, it's not coming out. Not unless there's a lot of pain and ripping. And so that fish will fight until it's totally exhausted, and then it gets reeled in, and instead of getting a meal, it becomes somebody else's meal. They never do actually get the meal. Now, consumer debt, let me just explain it like this. Let's say, you know, that 
after we talk about you know, this whole thing with credit card debt and everything like that today, you're going to say, I'm going to pay that off. I'm, like, I'm just going to stop borrowing money. So you just cut up your credit cards, and then you say, okay, 3000 bucks on my Visa card. I'm just going to make the minimum payment, pay this thing off, and I'm not going to go into any more debt. And how long it'll take you to pay off $3,000 by making the minimum payments? It'll take you 37-plus years to pay it off. And when you're done, okay, you will have paid a total of $10,000 for that $3,000. You see, that's the rent that you pay on the money, $7,000 in rent. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of rent, isn't it? Now, you know, and you, the point is on this, to actually get to the point where you're renting somebody else your money, okay, and having them pay interest. High interest in our culture would be about 6% if you can leave something there and leave it for the same amount of time. Let's say you just, you know, you had that much money and you, and you basically had other people rent it for 37 years. You know how much you'd have at the end of those years? You'd have $27,000. Well, that's quite a bit better, isn't it? A guy by the name of J. Reuben Clark says this. He says, once you're in debt, interest, the rent that you pay on money will be your companion every minute of the day or night, and it's working against you. It has no love. It has no sympathy. It's as hard and soulless as a granite cliff, and you cannot dismiss it. Whenever you get in its way or you cross its course or you fail to meet its demands, it crushes you, just crushes you. Now, interest can be your best friend if you get it working for you. But I'll tell you, if it has its hook in you, it will be a greedy, heartless, sneaky enemy. And it will hunt you down because it knows where you live. Because you see, your address is right there on the credit card you know, statement. Now, that's not all. You know, debt has a way of destroying your contentment. In fact, the best road to contentment, if that's what you want, it's away from self-gratification. You know, if you've got this thing where you've got to have it now, I'm telling you, that almost always leads to discontentment. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 21, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever he gets. Now, please understand, Bible doesn't condemn debt. It doesn't say you're an evil person if you go into debt. It just kind of gives a warning out there, which is really good. Bible says that it's, it's wicked to borrow and not repay. Jesus was really clear about this, you know. He said that the quality and happiness and significance of your life has nothing to do with how much you own. Understand that. That the quality and the happiness and the significance of your life has nothing to do with how much you own, how much you have. So how about if I give you six biblical reasons for saying no to consumer debt? Oh, that's right. I can't see your hands out there, so I'm going to give them to you anyways, okay? The first is in Proverbs, and the, Proverbs, and the first one is about slavery. You know, it says the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave or servant to the lender. Now, here's the deal. You see, when you sign up for or click on your iPhone for debt, you surrender one of the most precious gifts in your life. It's your freedom. See, remember the rule. Interest is the rent that you pay on money, and if you can't pay the interest, you have to give it back. You have to find it someplace. Debt is not kind of this, you know, blob that's floating out there on some iCloud, you know. It's TD Canada Trust. It's Scotiabank. It's Eddie the Knife. It's someone. And the question is, are you going to give them 
the power to tell you what you can and cannot buy and tell you where you're going to go on vacation or anything else about your life. You're going to give them the chance to wreck your you know, credit, you know, karma.com rating, you know, because they don't like the way you're repaying the debt. Paul writes, he says, Christ has set you free so that you can actually live as a free person, which is a good thing. The second reason for saying no to debt is that debt forces you to be preoccupied with earning. James, the brother of Jesus, in his book by the name of James, he talks a little bit about this. He talks about people who brag about, you know, this next year, and we're going to go to this town, and we're going to earn a profit, we're going to earn this much money. And he says, like, you need to have a little bit of humility because you don't know what next year is going to hold. I mean, how many of you would thought that 2000, you know, 21, that we would be heading into this whole thing where we're on second round of COVID-19. Nobody thinks that way. And yet, that's the truth. And so, you know, he's not, you know, Eeyore the donkey, you know, Mr. Gloom and stuff. He's just saying, give yourself some financial margin. Debt can chain you to a job that you absolutely hate. The third thing that you need to know about debt is that it can be a joy killer. I mean, joy has been, you know, the whole book, the theme of this whole book that Paul has written. And in this passage on contentment, he basically says, I found the secret to contentment, and it's not having more. He said, I, I can, I've learned to be content when I don't have anything. I've learned to be content when I have a lot. And what happens is sometimes we have these subtle feelings of dissatisfaction, you know, and they come through marketing, they come through our own urges and stuff like this. The definition of happiness, the de- he's talking all this whole book about joy. He says, I want you to rejoice, and I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Joy is basically being at peace with God, at peace with others, and at peace with yourself. And I'll tell you, debt has a way of wrecking at least two of those. And so you want to be careful. You see, without even thinking, you know, we buy, thinking that this new thing that we, you know, has sparked our interest is going to bring us joy. And it does for a few weeks, right? And then we're making payments on something sometimes that we've fallen out of love with a long time ago and sometimes don't even own a thing anymore. Debt has a way of strangling your joy. The fourth thing that debt does is sabotage our ability to give. See, learning to give is one of the most beautiful things in life. Everybody loves a generous person, right? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's the key to one of the things that Jesus has called us to do. It's being like Jesus. That's what Jesus was like, okay? Jesus told us to love other people as we love ourselves. You can't do that and spend all your money on yourself. You just can't do that. It's impossible. And the story that Jesus told was about a Samaritan that's going out, and he helps this guy out, and he gives him his time, and he gives him his money, and he makes promises to him, and he doesn't even know the guy. And that's what it means to love other people as much as you love yourself. See, when you get so backed up on your debt that you can't tithe, you can't give 10% to God, you can't help somebody in need, you know, what you're basically saying is, I actually think that I'm more deserving of my love than anybody else that's out there, including God. And Jesus changes our heart, and he fills us with love and with compassion, and he wants to be generous through us. But sometimes we are so jacked up in debt that we can't you know, that we can't help anybody else. We can't think of anybody else. And it creates tension in our lives. There's a fifth reason for staying out of debt. And this is a tough one, okay? But I'm just going to say it anyways. Debt eventually unmasks character flaws in your life. So let me just say it, okay? The, you know, 
the whole pull towards instant self-gratification. That's a character flaw. If you can't say no to yourself, then you're going to be in trouble. And many people get to the point where they're just drowning in debt because they can't say no to themselves. And that's the power that God gives us. Lori was the one that helped me with, uh, with this part of saying no, especially when it came to cars, okay? Because, you know, my parents always made payments on cars. They got a car and then, it, you know, and I, here's, the, here's the stinking thinking as they, as they call it. You know, that's what they call it in AA. It's the thinking that keeps you, you know, addicted to something. See, I would tell myself, well, you know, if I keep this car too long, I'm going to lose my investment and I'm going to, you know, and her perspective was, why don't you pay now, buy what you can afford to pay cash for Instead of making payments, making payments is dumb. And the truth is, you see, it's not like I was going to lose money. A car loses, you know, its trade-in value when you drive it off the lot. Two principles. First of all, think ahead. And if you think ahead, you have to ask yourself the question, and am I going to still love this thing when I'm paying for it three years down the line or four years down the line, and it got, has dents and has rust in it? Second principle is, Listen to your spouse. They can many times see something that you don't, and God might be speaking through them, so you need to be careful to listen. Now, let me give you the final reason for staying out of debt. Owing money to anyone affects the relationship that you have with them. If you've ever loaned somebody money, and they said, oh, yeah, 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 I'll pay you back next week, or I'll pay you back next month, or whatever, and then they don't pay you back, and then they don't pay you back, and then they don't pay you back, and they don't pay you back, well, it has this effect on your relationship, does it? doesn't it? Always does. I'll tell you, I have watched so many Christians get sideways with each other, you know, in the church over money. It just makes me sick. And then you, get, you talk about relatives, owing money to your relatives. Oh, my word, don't get me started on that. I have watched, you know, couples fighting it out, battling it out in court, you know, over, you know, custody and especially over, you know, the, the money and all this stuff. And I'm telling you, it says something. People murder each other over money. That says something about what it means, okay? And here's my bottom line. Saying no to consumer debt is worth the effort and the discipline and the sacrifice that it sometimes takes. If you want to improve your relationships, stay out of debt because that'll help you. Now, I'm just going to, I put these up here just so you could remember them and so on and uh, get the right page up here, okay? Biblical reasons to stay out of debt. You become a slave. You become preoccupied with earning money. It's a joy killer. You know, it keeps you from giving as you should. It, you know, raises questions about your character flaws. It, you know, basically magnifies them, and then it'll have a bad effect on your relational world. Now, for the record, okay, my goal here this morning is not to shame anybody. My goal is not, you bad, awful you know, person for getting in debt. No, it just, it just happens. We, we get into it. And you need to know the truth, though, about you know, the stuff that the big box stores and the banks tell you. Because they will never tell you this stuff on the credit card applications that you make. You know? Lazy boy, people who sell lazy boy, they're going to tell you, you know, that this thing is not going to be satisfied for a while. People who you know, sell BMWs, you know, and luxury vacations. They never tell you that, like, you're going to enjoy this thing for about a few months, and then the, and then the whole charm is going to go away on it. Here's the thing I know. You get into debt, you don't drift out of it. You drift into debt. Very easy to do that. You kind of just float downstream. That's where you're going to end up. 
but you're not going to drift out of it. And so what that means is that you and I are going to have to take specific action to get out and stay out of consumer debt. You know, it's like exercising. Exercising is not usually fun, especially when you start out. It's painful, okay? But you're glad that you did, you know, when you can get up to the top of the stairs and still breathe. For some of you, this could be your defining moment. It could change the course of your life in terms of how you use your money and the sense of joy and the, and the lack of fear that you have in your life. So if you're in a mess, and some of you may be, you need a plan. So I'm just going to pass on some advice that I've received along the way, some of it from people who love Jesus, some of it from people who just understand money, okay? And here's the first step. What you want to do is you want to go to the bathroom, first of all, and you want to just kind of look in the mirror steadily for about a minute or maybe longer. Maybe you like what you see and, you know, you're thinking, wow, you know, you got it going on there, dude, you know. But then point your finger at that person in the mirror and say, you are responsible for the debt. Nobody else. You are responsible for the debt. You know why? Well, it's like Jesus said, you know, that telling the truth is the first step toward freedom. You know, making any changes in our life. To, to be forgiven, you have to own what you've done. You have to tell the truth to yourself. If you want to get out of an addiction of some kind, you know, you have to say, I am responsible for this. I'm not going to have a pity party over myself and my circumstances. I am responsible for this, and I'm responsible for getting out of it. It's my fault. It's nobody else's. And when you own the responsibility, you see, then you can go to God and say, okay, God, you see me. You know who I am. I need your power to get out of this mess, and he'll give it to you. Second step toward freedom is to not accumulate any more debt for any reason whatsoever. Don't accumulate any more, and that'll be tough. It's a fundamental shift in your life, and, and it's the, we've seen this fundamental shift in our culture, you know, from 70 years ago where it was like, you got to pay now, and then you can buy it, you know, to now, it's buy now, pay later, which is what most people get into. Now, hear me on this, you know. Credit cards are not evil. They're just a piece of plastic, you know, that has numbers on them and, and register your payment and so on, you know. So if you use them for convenience, which is a good thing nowadays, especially with, with COVID, you know, and pay them off every month, that's fine. It's not a problem, you know. But if you can't do that, then what you need to do is you need to gather up all these pieces of plastic and put them on a sheet of aluminum foil, put them in the oven at about 450 degrees, leave them in there for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then what you do, you have this really colorful little collage, and you put, take that out and you hang it by where you pay your bills as a reminder that this stuff has a, has a web and you're caught in the web. Third thing that you need to do is stop spending more than you make. You just have to. You've got to find a way to do that. And to do that, you see, you're going to have to, defend, you're going to, have to develop a plan for how you're going to spend what you make and no more. Now, I've talked about this before, but let me just bring it up to you, okay? So here's the first thing we talked about. You need to, the cure is you've got to tell yourself the truth, that you're headed, you know, you're in an ocean, and you're headed for something that's going to take you down to the bottom if you don't stop it. This is the plan. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. It's very simple. You give 10% of what comes into your home to God. You know, that's, that's kind of the bottom line when you read through what the Bible has to say about money. 10% then goes to savings. You pay yourself. Because, you know, stuff's still going to happen. Roofs leak, you know, and cars rust and die. And so you have to do that. 
and then you live on the 80%. It's not complicated. Uh, it gets more complicated when you actually have to sit down and do it and figure out how to do it, okay? So that's what I would encourage you to do. And here's, here's what I want to say about this. Here at the Olive Branch, you guys are amazing in terms of giving and so on. I just, I just need to say we finished the year really well, and I'll tell you, God has been using your faithfulness in giving all along. And so I just want to say, man, my hat's off to you. Thank you for your faithfulness and so on. And I'm not giving this message because we're in some kind of financial trouble here at the church. We're not. God has provided all along, and he's used your faithfulness to do this, okay? So that's, having said that, if you can't honor God with 10%, and if you can't, you know, pay yourself by saving the 10% and live on the rest, then you need to figure out how you're going to reduce your living expenses. It's just, it's just that simple. Whether it's, you know, maybe moving to a smaller home. Could be that instead of buying a home, you bought a prison. You need to just say, I bought a prison. This thing is locking me down. Maybe it's an older car. Maybe it's resigning, you know, from Amazon or Mayfair. But develop a plan, you see, because behold, God hath given us credit, you know, God has given us, you know, calculators. And we can figure this stuff out. But you need to do it. You need to track it. Now, if you're in significant debt, consumer debt, first thing I want to say is don't panic. Fear doesn't help anything, okay? If anything, it just kind of drives you further on. So don't fear. Don't beat yourself up. Again, shaming doesn't get you anywhere. God doesn't shame us. God doesn't kick us around on the floor and so on and shake his finger at us and tell, him, tell us how much he hates us because we screwed up. But you do have to come up with some kind of a repayment plan. Maybe get some financial counseling, you know. But a plan for how you're going to get out is going to replace the fear that you have and the dread that you have when it comes to financial stuff with hope. Any, you know, a uh, good plan will encourage you to go to the people that you owe the money to. Go to your creditors, you know. Tell them that you're going to pay them back, that you fully intend to pay it all and work out a plan with them to make that happen. And an equation would look something like this for debt reduction. You could call it the 10, 10, 10, 70 plan. 10% still goes to God because you can't cheat him to pay off your debt. 10% still goes to savings because bad stuff still happens and you need to have money. 10% then goes to debt repayment. You've got to repay your debt. And so you're going to say 10% of everything that comes in in any given month is going to pay my debt. And then you have to live on the 70%. Sorry, I screwed up the 7 there, but that's the way it works, okay? So the fourth suggestion for kind of getting out of this stuff is maybe a little bit harder. You need an accountability partner, partner Okay. Solomon wrote these words. He says, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help. Now, here's the deal. All of us have areas of our lives where, you know, our willpower is a little bit on the shaky side. My willpower is a little bit shaky, you know, when it comes to tools and boats and fishing stuff, okay? There's another person in our family who's a little shaky when it comes to gardening stuff and antiques. And I'm not going to tell you what her name is. If I did, I'd have to kill you, you know. And you have a weak spot too. You do. Everybody does. So ask a friend to help you. I might add a friend who doesn't have the same weakness that you do because they're, they're going to justify all the money that you spend on golf or clothes or, or eye stuff, whatever that happens to be. Richard Swenson, a guy I became friends with years ago, wrote a book called Margin. 
Fantastic book, I might add. And in margin, it's kind of the space that you have around the page. And, you know, it's the air at the top of the stairs. It's, you know, having the financial margin that you need so that you don't have to go into cardiac arrest when you pay your bills. This is a great book, okay? He wrote another book called The Overload Syndrome. And this is a great book, too. And if you want to borrow any of the, either of these, you can. This is what he said in terms of financial overload because it's so common in our world. This is what he says. Examine your motives for spending. Why are you doing it? Make spending need-based, okay? It's not something that you just want, you need it. Develop self-sufficiency. In other words, you know, learn to do some home repairs, you know. I'll tell you, you know, honestly, Google, you can find just about anything on there. Do car repairs. Learn to cut your own hair. That might be a little bit more risky, okay? Integrate lifestyle simplicity. We can live more simply than we do. And I'll tell you, it takes some of the complicated stuff out of our lives that just, you know, grinds us down. Move down. <laughs> That's an interesting thought, isn't it? <laughs> he says this, let appliances die in your arms, you know. Just take your refrigerator, kiss it and embrace it, you know, and just let it die gracefully in your arms without the need to get something bigger and better. Stop venerating automobiles. You know, we have to remember what an automobile is, you know. It's not a sign of freedom. It's not a sign of our success in life and how important we are. It's not a chick magnet or anything like that. It's a means of getting from point A to point B. And if it does that relatively safely, then it'll work, okay? Simplify your meals. Eat out less. Cost, figure out how much money you spend on pizza in any given year. Shop for good deals, Okay? Simplify Christmas and birthdays. We had to do this in our family. Enjoy free activities. Lots of stuff that's free out there. Respect the potential of economic volatility. <laughs> Respect the fact that, you know, 2021 may be somewhat of a repeat of 2020. You have to think that through. You have to, you know, put that into your, into your um, you know, kind of into where you're thinking about money and so on. And also change your measuring stick. Jesus made it clear that money and stuff is not an indicator of anything, let alone how important you are. Now, I want to end with some good news this morning. And the best news is that you and I are not on our own on this. God gives us help in some very practical ways. Listen to what the Bible has to say about this. This is Paul. We always already studied this. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Listen to how this happens. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You may be in debt and you're thinking, I'm never going to get out of this. I might as well throw up my hands and float downstream. Well, that's not true. I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. And then this passage from the book of Hebrews, he says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Most important thing you have in your life is God and his presence and his power. And contrary to what you hear, it is possible to be at peace. It's possible to live contented with what you have. You and I don't, you know, need another thing to learn the secret of contentment, to just be grateful for what we have. We talked about it last week. God unleashes his power to people who are interested and want to be content with what they have. He'll help you. He'll pour on his power. And the second is God's promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
And the context of these words is right in the whole arena of contentment. God stands ready to help us. God, I need your power. I need you to help me because I find myself vulnerable to all the marketers and everybody who wants my money out there. Think about what this might look like, about what it might look like to cooperate with God. What if you went shopping, okay, or walked into Canadian Tire, or went to the boat show, or even, you know, went to Amazon, which most of us are doing these days on our computer, and you pray, okay, God, I know I am walking into a den of temptation, and I need your help. I need your help. Help me to be able to enjoy things without having to own them. And the other prayer is, if you don't want me going here, God, because it's going to be too much temptation, then you say no, and I'll back away from it. I'll stop. What if before every major or semi-major purchase, you and I would pray? Okay, God, show me the difference between buying to satisfy some deep need in my ego or trying to be more important than I am or trying to impress my friends and what I can really afford or need to spend. Show me the difference because I know I will never be able to indefinitely impress everybody else with what I buy. Has anybody here besides me ever experienced some serious buyer's remorse? I bought a van one night, you know, and the, the saddest thing was I used some money that Lori had saved up to do it. Buyer's remorse. You can't believe how remorseful I am. What if we were to practice buyer beware? Like we were to think about it and, and actually do some research before we make every decision. We were to ask God, okay, God, there's things that, you can't, that I can't see about my future, that I can't see about this thing I'm about to buy. Would you please show me? I, I want you to show me, and if you will say no, if you say no, I won't do it. He knows the answer to everything, right? I mean, I sometimes wonder if we don't do this because we don't want God messing around in our stuff. Because, you know, we're thinking, okay, what if he says, no, well, I still want this thing because it appeals to me and I think I need it, so I'm not going to listen anyways. Why would I even ask him? One more thing. Get the law of interest working for you, not against you, as soon as possible. You know why? It's a good feeling. <laughs> You'll feel better than you've ever felt buying something that you couldn't afford. You'll feel wise. And sometimes, you know, it'll, there'll be a little bit of pain, like when your neighbor, you know, makes it, you know, obvious that she's just bought this new BMW, you know, with all kinds of numbers on it or, or whatever. Just tell yourself, actually, you have to tell you, it probably belongs to the bank, not them. And even if it does belong to them, so what? It's a means of getting from point A to point B. And over time, you will experience something, I'm telling you, that is amazing. And that's being free. Being free. Not smug, not proud, but free. It's, it's the satisfaction that you find down inside of, of being stronger than the urge to buy, than being stronger than the impulse of instant self-gratification, you know? It, it's, it's the strength of being able to buy not just what you want, but what you actually need and can afford. And something else. Why don't you learn to wait on God to see if he comes up with some new cool way to provide with you? For years, I had someone close to me where the trick at Christmas was to try to get them something, you know, uh, that they liked before they bought it for themselves. Sometimes, you know, I'd give the gift, you know, and then there would be this kind of sheepish grip. Oh, you know, sheepish grin, you know. Oh, yeah, I bought myself one of these two weeks ago. And I, oh, darn it, you know. And I just wonder sometimes, God wants to provide for us, but we, you know, we, <laughs> we jump the gun and we go and get it for ourselves. I'm totally convinced that sometimes we run out and get stuff, racking up debt, because we don't think that God loves us enough to give it to us. 
here's the thing. If God wants you to have it, don't you think you will? Pretty important to remember. And there's another great feeling that you don't want to miss out, and that's the opportunity to give and to bless others. I want you to think about that because Jesus was clear about this. He says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Think about what it would like to get a, be like to get a child out of poverty, a child you know, who, who gets fed and gets clothes because you help them. Think about what it would like, be like to get a child out of being trafficked and sold. Think about what it would be like to give somebody the gift of the good news of Jesus that would set them free for all of eternity and to know that there's going to be another shore when, you know, totally in contrast to what you actually gave, you're going to see somebody who's blessed for all of eternity. Jesus said, you want to store up treasure there, and if you don't, you're going to be poor at a time when you want to be rich. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. Just some thoughts in closing, okay? And I am going to close. I want you to do some homework. And I want you to ask yourself this question, because this is really important. Where did you get your attitudes about money? I think I told you a little bit about me. You know, Lori and I got together. And you see, couples sometimes fight over money. And we haven't ever thought so much about money. But her perspective on money has really helped me. And hopefully, you know, my perspective, as limited as it is, has helped her. Where did you get your attitudes about money? You get them from your friends? You get them from how you were raised? You getting them off the media? Where do you get your attitudes about money? The second part of the homework is if you need help, man, get help. Because there's this part of us that, you know, kind of is ashamed sometimes of what's happened. And I'm just saying, don't be ashamed. Just get help. Get help. Because there's help out there. You can get some help for learning how to budget your money, learning how to, you know, financial counsel in terms of how to live on what you have and so on, which is what you, which what, what you need to do. So if you need to get out of a mess, ask for help. And that's for God's power. See, God is the one who forgives his debtors. And he teaches us how to not be the debtors of people that we rent money from. And he will help you. He will give you strength. He will show you how to be content and how to, you know, avoid the urge of instant self-gratification. He will give you power to help. Final thing is track where the money goes. That's part of budgeting anyways. But track where the money goes for 2021. I have this little thing you probably have seen that, you know, it's household budget and it actually is a way of tracking the money and knowing where it goes. So if I run out, I know where it went, okay? And I have stuff for savings and, and all kinds of different places, food, you know, mortgage and, and, you know, clothing, medication, all that stuff. And I just write it down. You know, when I, get the, when I get the statements, when I get the receipts, I just write it down. And it helps me to know where the money goes. It would be helpful for you to know how much you spend on pizza. It would be helpful for you to know how much you spend on insurance. It would be helpful for you to know how much you spend on your iPhone and all the other things. So track your money. And finally, ask God to give you a contented heart. Paul learned the secret of being content in all the circumstances in which he found himself. Ask him for the strength to say no to instant self-gratification. Ask for his power to find a plan and stick to it. Ask him to help you to not base your feelings about yourself on how much you own and what you look like. And he'll help you. You can do everything through him 
who gives you strength. And he will give you strength. Let's pray. God, the truth about us is in a world that's filled with all kinds of stuff, trying to lure us into, into spending our money and get ourselves in debt. We need your help. That's the truth about me. That's the truth about all of us because it all appeals to us. Anything that's shiny that kind of floats by our eyes, we think, I need one of those. And God, we need your power to say no to what is going to enslave us, what's going to cause us to stick in some web and the power to get out of the problems that we sometimes run into by doing that. So I just ask on my behalf, and I ask on behalf of everyone who's listening, that you will give them the strength and the grace and the true happiness that they need in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.